Welcome to another episode of Raiders of the Unknown. Uh, we have a special guest, and our topic is exorcism. We would like for Rabbi Sucker to tell us about his background and his interests on that topic. Uh, again, welcome to our show. So uh, exorcism, the notion that that uh, a body, that somebody is uh, possessed somehow by a spirit, um, goes back uh Certainly, we know about it in relatively modern times. Uh, there are some indications, we're very, very limited information, but we have some indication that the notion that one was um, caught up by an evil spirit, uh, one finds that in, in very rare circumstances uh, already in biblical times. Can you tell us about uh, your interest in that topic and I bring it up now um, in my work in the as a chaplain uh, no one ever talks about exorcism and it's almost like uh, part of the intellectualism where anything mystical is considered to be psychological why why is it important to uh, address it now as uh, something relevant well just to give you a, some background in terms of uh, my personal uh, interest in this uh, I was a chaplain, a uh, Jewish chaplain in a long-term care uh, nursing facility. And uh, I was uh, very active at the time in the National Association of Jewish Chaplains. And so I did some research on the whole notion of exorcism. And I, to my own surprise, found out that um, certainly uh, there is material not so much biblical material, but from the Middle Ages, late Middle Ages, which speaks about exorcism. Uh, and that whole question really came about, uh, and again, this is just relating my own personal experience, that uh, some nurses came to me and as the chaplain and said that uh, in a certain room in the nursing home, they had a series of uh, unfortunate encounters uh, that there were um, uh, that there were people who who caused problems or there were deaths in that particular room, and they asked me if uh, there was some way to create an exorcism uh, from that room, and I said, well, I really don't know about that, uh, but I started doing some research and found out that there in fact was a precedent for that notion of. Uh, of doing some sort of exorcism. So uh, in time, I developed a, uh, a ritual. And to my own surprise, it worked. And so I shared some of those experiences uh, at a national convention at, uh, in, at a workshop. Can you tell us what this uh, ritual uh, in, entails? And uh, does it have any correlation with I assume that the nurses were Christian and there's a strong uh, history of the the life of Jesus and maybe other people throughout history who conducted exorcisms. Uh, was it something that, that they connected with or something that it was particular from your tradition? No, I, I, that, that's a very good insight. Um, I, I think you're absolutely right that uh, they happen to be Christians. Uh, I wouldn't I have no idea if they're active Christians in that sense, going to church regularly, but I think just part of their 
uh, Christian experience that they were aware of the notion of exorcism and turned to me and said, this is a Jewish nursing home. You're the chaplain here, uh, the rabbi here. Uh, could you help us with this? So uh, it, it very much came out of their own their own background and experience, at least the request uh, to, to look into the whole question of exorcism. In in uh, in Hasidic circles or maybe some Jewish mystical circles, they talk about Psalm ninety one, which is used also in in the Christian um, community when someone dies or to expel um, the darkness and the the pestilence, as it says in the Psalm. Did that have uh, something to do with uh, the ritual that that you created, or uh, what? Where are the parts to it? Well, I, I, there, no doubt there are people who uh, regard um, evil spirits and 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 somehow uh, a spirit entering somebody. That certainly is not the case if we're talking about mainstream Judaism. I think that if you uh, arbitrarily just interviewed, just took the first 100 people that you randomly uh, ran into, that most of them, probably 99 percent of them would say exorcism that's not a jewish thing so it's not something which is which is generally known in amongst uh, uh laity and the jewish community but uh there's a movie called the uh, possession where um they have a, a, a jewish actor play a, a rabbi and he does um uh expelling of a the book or um a spirit of a, a deceased person who is uh, connected to a young lady. Um, is is that the popular version or is that something that can be connected to Jewish tradition? Yeah, I, 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 I'm aware that there is the, there are, there are traditions within this broad thing called Judaism that there are, is a belief that there are evil spirits which could uh, enter into somebody. Um, the, uh, the term for this kind of evil spirit or dark spirit that that enters person is the word dibbuk. Now dibbuk, uh, d y b b u k, um, the, the root of that word is to connect or to cleave, uh, to connect with something. So the the dibbuk in that sense um, connects with the person, and according to people who who take this seriously to believe this, that one can then perform some kind of ceremony to exorcise this dibbuk uh, from the person. You, usually, the dibbuk, again, generalizing here, the dibbuk is some sort of dead, somebody who had died in the past, but hasn't, um, uh, continues to live in some fashion or another and um, enters enters a, a person's body and causes problems of some sort or another. Are you familiar with the story of, um, I, I don't know if it was Rabbi Akiba or another uh, rabbi from the Talmud that goes to Rome to talk to the emperor. And there's two versions. One, it was a servant of, of the emperor, of Caesar, and another one, it was his daughter who was possessed by a demon, and then he had the Ring of Solomon, which either has the name of God or has a root in it, and they were able to, to get that spirit out. It was almost like an unclean spirit, as mentioned in the New Testament, 
and it was Bespian, the the Caesar. Do, are you familiar with that story? No, I'm not. Um, I, it's um, I, I'm I haven't heard that that uh, that anecdote before. So um, the the idea from the the Bible that there is uh, demonic forces, either uh, gods of the 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 other tribes who were personified in demons, or that there is some type of uh, goats uh, that people worship in the mountains or things like that. Did that come across in your research? No, no. First of all, none of what you just said is biblical. Uh, there are no biblical statements about um, about uh, tribes with with demons or or going to the mountains with demons. That's and I don't know where you pick that up, but that's not biblical. Um, what you do find. Uh, in in the Bible, for instance, in the book of Samuel, uh, the first king, King Saul, um, is um, we would probably use words like he was depressed, um, but it, it, the term that is used in the in the Bible is that he was um, visited by an evil spirit from God, and um, the. Uh, at the same time, there is David, who eventually will become the second king of Israel. But David comes and uh, plays his his lyre, his his harp, uh, with uh, in front of uh, Saul. And according to the biblical text uh, in the book of Samuel, uh, the the evil spirit uh, leaves Saul. Now, uh, if we were describing that today in in modern terms, we might say that uh, by by uh, perhaps playing calming music or whatever, the person who was upset uh, was no longer upset. But th that's that's the rare one of the rare biblical uh, statements which which speak about an evil spirit entering. In this case, King Saul, who was it, it, the Bible doesn't use the word exercise, but David's music playing on the lyre, um, the harp. Um, if you want, in that sense, exercised uh, Saul's uh, difficult spirit. So, so tell us, um, did the Psalms of David help uh, to kind of cleanse this room? Is that what you used to to help uh, bring about this result? Well, what what I did, I mean, in in terms of, I created a ritual, and the ritual uh, spoke about the fact. That it would appear that there is there are some difficulties in this room, uh, things which um, which seem to be here. And uh, in in Jewish tradition, uh, one places a mezuzah, which is a little box with some quotations from the Bible in it, and one puts this on the doorposts of the of the room. And so, as part of this ritual, we took the mezuzah which was there. And exchange it for a new mezuzah. Uh, I recited some prayers, uh, asking that if there is anything malevolent here, may that disappear. Um, I, I encouraged that uh, people would would. Um, I, and I read a few psalms, uh, uh, quotes from psalms, um, and as I say, exchanged the the mezuzah. And all I can say is, in my experience, it worked. That. Uh, whatever difficulties they were having in that particular room that seemed to to clear the the matter 
another thing I did was in this particular nursing home, uh, each room had windows going to the outside. So as part of this ritual, we opened the window and I said words to the effect of, if there is anything here like an evil spirit, may it flee or leave through the window. And again, I don't pretend to understand how it worked. All I know is that by creating this kind of ritual, uh, that uh, it's, it seemed to resolve the difficulties in that particular room. In the movie The Exorcist, uh, they say that um, there might be a scientific uh, like version of, of what could happen with a person who is uh, possessed or, or a building that is possessed, where if you bring uh, a religious authority that the people are uh, either involved or, or are being um, oppressed by this, um, give them the authority or believe that they have the power to get rid of this, that psychologically speaking, they're released from that fear. Uh, do you think that that could have been a factor with the nurses? I, I, broadly speaking, yes, I would buy into that kind of uh, broadly psychological explanation that that if people felt that there was something uh, malevolent, that you bring in a religious authority, that and if you uh, accept the person's religious authority and accept the words that that person is saying, that yes, I can see it can be very positive. There's one tradition that uh, I'm familiar with where, you know, Lilith is, is known as the demoness that uh, hurts children in, in Jewish uh, mystical uh, thinking. And um, I've heard that you can write the names of the four angels in, uh, in the crib of a baby to protect them from Lilith. Uh, have you come across that idea that there is uh, the one of the wives of Adam who became a demoness and then she can come after uh Children right. and the, the notion the notion that that uh Adam Adam had a first wife whose name was Lilith um that's part of the homiletic the midrashic tradition within Judaism and there were stories written and sermons uh, offered which when eventually got written down as as midrash as as homiletic uh, explanations and yes, that speaks about Lilith as a kind of negative spirit. So you get uh, you get stories told about this, but just because they are uh, traditional stories doesn't mean that there is a a validity to it in the sense of that one could prove this scientifically. It's it, it's more what I would call um, human beliefs, folk beliefs in that sense. I heard a, a silly uh, interpretation from Rabbi Jacobson, who's a, a disciple of uh, the Rebbe uh, uh, Schneerson, and he was saying that uh, the the halakhic scholar Maimonides um, either believed or did not believe in demons, and then the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Hasidism, believed in them, and that somewhere in between demons disappeared, uh, either before or after uh, the debate between the, the mystical and the more... Um, rational thinking in Judaism. Uh, what do you think about those type of debates? Well, there are people who believe in, in evil spirits and believe that that there's that whole extra world. Um, I would say that most Jews today, again, if, if you asked uh, the first arbitrary 100 Jews that you run into, 99 
percent would say no of course that's that's just folk belief uh, that's not is not reality it may be part of uh, a tradition but that doesn't make it real i mean just to give you but uh, uh, one example in the united states we have this myth about uh, george washington and, and the apple tree and so if i ask you did that really happen I presume that you would say, no, that's part of sort of American civic folklore. And I would put uh, belief in demons and whatnot in that sense, part of Jewish uh, folklore kind of traditions. But it's not, um, you know, it's not scientifically valid in that sense. And what was the response of the National Association of Jewish Chaplains, as well as the Christian chaplains that you've talked uh, recently to? regarding this experience that you had i'm sorry what about that what was the response of other oh, oh. jewish clergy that you talked to and now christian clergy that you've shared this experience with yeah i i think that um people who hear about my experience say uh, uh, and they take my word for it that that um whatever had been in that room seemed to to disappear uh, there are things in this world which which are beyond our understanding. I don't know how it works. Uh, all I do know is that that it was successful. I think that uh, in a broad sense, that it's a variation of, uh, of, uh, of pastoral care and listening and, and being, uh, being with somebody in their journey and, op uh, and um, accepting the validity, validity of what they're saying uh, and what they're experiencing. And so the Jewish chaplains and the uh, non-Jewish chaplains who heard my story said, yes, it makes sense. Uh, we don't always have the explanation of why it makes sense. Do you think that um, going along with someone's fear that there is uh, an entity in the room uh, will lead for more fear and more um, almost like you're validating that versus if you take a psychological approach, you are uh, more dismissive and, and maybe considering hallucinations or some other type of natural explanation. Uh, do you think it's dangerous to, to go along with a, a spiritual perspective if it's destructive? Well, I think that in terms of pastoral counseling, that um, you have to walk over to their side of the street that um you can't you know you have to honor what they're saying and and accept that they regard what they're saying as is reality and you start there and you talk it through and and but you and yes i think you validate what they're saying then you can perhaps take it in some other direction but uh it it, it seems to me more effective if you as i say walk over to their side of the street and uh validate that that's what they're hearing. That's what they're experiencing. In one of my classes uh, in Jewish health and healing, we were discussing how in the Babylonian Talmud, it mentions that there's sicknesses that are connected to some type of dark spirits. And I was easily to dismiss that as, as maybe a, a poor interpretation or an interpretation that was non-scientific. And my professor pointed out that what is it um, back then when they didn't have microscopes or, uh, you know, more knowledge about the natural world, what is it other than a, a dark force 
to get sick when you drink water that's polluted, to have an illness in your flesh that you cannot um, overcome. So that that was their way of discussing uh, natural uh, occurrences. Would you agree with that perspective? Well, if, if we're talking about the, the Talmud is, is a vast uh, Jewish law book, which has well over a million different words in, as part of the Talmud itself. Um, just to give you a sense of size, the Talmud is something like 1.4 million words. Compare that to the Jewish Bible, which is less than 9,000 words. So there's a tremendous amount of material in the, in the Talmud. Indeed, there are two different Talmuds. There's what's called the Babylonian Talmud and the um, Jerusalem Talmud. And in the Babylonian Talmud, um, which was obviously written in Babylonia, and that was uh, what today more or less would be modern Iraq, that uh, the rabbis who are part of that were clearly influenced by Babylonian traditions. And Babylonian traditions, we know from other sources, believed in these kinds of demons, and so, or evil spirits or whatever. So you get um, notations, you get uh, paragraphs in the, in the Talmud which speak about evil spirits. So that was their way, a non-scientific way, but it was their way of explaining what we might today call um, somebody with, with some mental health issues. In your experience in the, in the history of Judaism, ha have you seen uh, a return to a more uh, mystical and open to the magic and, and the supernatural uh, uh, instead of what was uh, happening for many years where it was very intellectual and rational and more um, academic in, in the being able to prove uh, texts and things like that as compared to going more with the senses and the imagination and things like that? Well, um, again, Judaism is a such a wide area, and it's, and it's a, and different different traditions within Judaism. Uh, I would say there always has been, or not always, that there has been for a long time a minority um, subset of people who believe in in mysticism and and that kind of tradition. And there are people today who who study that. How much, how seriously they take it, I don't know. Uh, Kabbalah and this kind of mystical tradition is not an interest of mine, and so I have no personal experience in terms of um, studying Kabbalah. And uh, I know of of a few people, just by by uh, information that I've heard, who are studying Kabbalah, but I that's not part of my background. In your in in movies, uh, whenever they talk about someone being oppressed, somehow they always make it seem like God is nowhere to be found. The person is going through convulsions, they're feeling sick, they're acting out of character, and then God shows up way at the end with the priest or whomever to try to you know get that out of their system. Um, what is your perspective of God's active uh, work in the world? Um, what happened between? The, the revelation of Sinai, the apparitions of, of God and the angels to Abraham, and now why don't we don't see him being manifested in, in the physical like it used to be? Uh, excellent question. 
uh, and, and I'm trying to give you a broad Jewish answer. And the, the broad Jewish answer is that God's active involvement um, in terms of prophecy and whatnot ended with the last of the Jewish prophets, um, which are generally referred to as Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Uh, and those are the last three of the Jewish prophets and tradition. Jewish tradition says that prophecy in that sense, God's active involvement, speaking to and through people, ended what now would be 2,400 years ago. So I, I don't know of people today who speak about God spoke to me. I mean, that that is not part of mainstream Jewish uh, teaching and understanding. So where is God hiding? Like, what was the point of, of being so active and then retrieving? And how are people supposed to experience God if, if it's not through prophets? Good question. Um, I, I would use a the broad analogy of parents at some point need to let their children uh, live their own lives, uh, make good decisions, maybe make some not so good decisions, but at a certain point, uh, children have to stand up in their own right. And God, uh, in that sense, as the great parent, at some point said, you now have to do it yourself. So again, in terms of Jewish tradition, Prophecy in that sense of direct God speaking directly to people uh, ended 2,400 years ago. How do you feel about uh, the academic perspective that um, the Israelite religion was influenced by all the other um, groups around them, the Canaanites, the Hittites, and groups like that, and that it's all just a hodgepodge of different deities put together? And, <laughs> and to connect it to demonology, uh, some of the incantations that I've come across have to do with the names of God, that if you are able to use the name of God or the name of an angel, you're able to bind uh, these forces and get rid of them. So, uh, But they say that the names of the gods of the Canaanites are the same as, as the different titles of God. So how do you uh, work with that? Well, I mean, if we're talking about biblical times, which uh, really we're talking about something which is roughly... Um, close on to 5,000 years ago till about 2,400 years ago. So over the thousands of years of, of biblical thought that, of course, they were uh, influenced culturally by, by people with whom, uh, alongside whom they lived, but Israelite tradition, it's a misnomer to call it Judaism, but call it Israelite religion, developed over the years. So was it influenced somewhat by their neighbors? Of course. Sometimes um, influenced positively, sometimes negatively in the sense of our neighbors are doing A, B, C, D. We're not going to be doing A, B, C, D. So it's it's very much um, sometimes um, seeing parallels and then sometimes seeing very much a different approach to uh uh, to how one responds to God and 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 the expectations that one has of your fellow human beings. Are you familiar with the Book of Enoch? And uh, there's different versions. You know, there's the the before uh, the Common Era Enoch, and then the one in between, and then the, the Talmudic uh, Third Book of Enoch. And uh, 
in in my conversations with um, different uh, Jewish folks regarding the Second Temple period and the different sectarian groups, they want to demarcate, you know, what's truly Jewish and what it's not and what are sectarian groups like the Jewish Christians and stuff like that. And uh, now there's this thing where there was interpolation between all these different groups for hundreds of years. Uh, have you come across that where different groups are are trying to define themselves as the true uh, Jews or the true Israel, and they uh, decline one perspective or the other to try to prove their superiority? Um, ha has that ever come up in the in the question of exorcism, where like who really understands uh, the spiritual world and who doesn't? No, no, and the short answer to your question is no. I don't have any experience with that. The the Desi Scrolls talk about some stuff that could be applied to also, um, you know, trying to avoid the the darkness or the light. Um, there's a passage where it says that the children of light are going to fight against the children of darkness. Um, right. Uh, uh, have uh, you I'm, I'm aware that. There are some passages which speak, as as you said, about the the children of light and the children of darkness and whatnot. Uh, I I know very little about the Dead Sea Scrolls, so I, I couldn't. Uh, I, I'm aware of some things which are in it, but that's not an area of of interest of mine, and and certainly it's not an area of knowledge. And as you have spoken about this experience with people from other faiths, uh, where have you found? commonalities and uh, things to um, to connect with and build bridges uh, through this? Well, in terms of, let's say, working with fellow chaplains, uh, certainly uh, as chaplains, we understand the importance of being board certified and taking clinical pastoral education and um, developing that, that you become a professional chaplain. So in that sense, uh, there's a lot of sharing of commonalities in terms of pastoral care and pastoral counseling. Um, so in, in that sense, there, there's a broad uh, agreement among, amongst chaplains about how one does chaplaincy or how one does not to do chaplaincy. What about the, the concept of God, the concept of human nature, uh, the way that we deal with our problems? Is there things in relation to exorcism and finding comfort in God that, that people have come up to you and said um, what you spoke really connected with my way of helping our patient. Yeah, yeah. I well, I haven't I retired over 10 years ago. So I'm my my information is is very limited in terms of uh, active chaplaincy. I know that for a number of years back in the 1990s and the early 2000s that we had international conferences where the National Association of Catholic Chaplains met with the um, the Association of Professional Chaplains. The Canadian group came to it uh, at the uh, National Association of Jewish Chaplains. So there was that kind of interchange, uh, whether those kind of uh, international conferences are still going on. Um, that's I'm just I'm not up to date on that. But. What was the reaction of the Christian chaplains when you told them about this experience? About about the, the, the exorcism. Yes, cleansing the room. Yeah, well, the uh, Christian chaplains, like the Jewish chaplains, found it interesting, found it um, fascinating. They personally had not done it, but they 
they saw that um, it was, they, they took my word for it that this was something which I did and which was effective. And so uh, without necessarily saying that they would do the same thing, they certainly validated that uh, what I had to say made sense. There's a book by Jacob Neusner called The uh, Wonderworking Rabbis of the Talmud. And in that one, he has all kinds of mystical experiences that the rabbis were partakers of, including uh, creating a golem, uh, one a golem that was like a cow and they eat it, and, and some miraculous stuff that they do. Uh, do you consider all that homiletical, like you were saying, that it's like helping people connect with the Bible? Or is it a possibility that there was some manifestations and, and experiences that they had that were powerful. Well, well Jacob Neusner was a great he, a great Jewish scholar, and I know that he wrote multiple, multiple books. I'm not familiar with that book. Um, yes, I'm, I'm sure that one can look into the Talmud and, and find examples of wonder-working rabbis. You also find in the Talmud that um, the rabbis, at least the way I read it, certainly had a good sense of humor. And and one of these and one of the sections in the uh, Talmud in the first uh, order, which is known as Brachot blessings, um, it talks. A rabbi says, "If you want to really know, uh, I want to really see an evil spirit. You take the the and then he goes into this long explanation. You take the the afterbirth of a black female cat, who is the." Um, descendant, direct descendant of a, another black cat, of another black cat, of another black cat, and you take the the afterbirth and you uh, burn it in fire, and then you mix it with the dust, and if you put that in, in your eye, you'll be able to see the demons. Now, clearly, the rabbi was just making fun. He was just making something up. So what you find in the Talmud are serious discussions, and you also find these very purposefully uh, humorous, really making fun of the whole notion of of um, of demons and 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 that sort of thing. But as I said earlier, it was written in uh, Babylonia, uh, which again today would be Tigris Euphrates rivers, modern Iraq, and there were beliefs in folk and demons in, in the folk religion of Babylonia, and this influenced the rabbis. Now, how much they actually believed it was so different rabbis have different ideas speaking of wild stories i remember two stories where uh hasatan or or what people people call satan appears as a beautiful woman to a couple of rabbis and one uh is tempted by her uh and and climbs up a tree trying to get to her and then he decides to die instead of sinning against god and then another one is going through a bridge and the same thing uh, again, do you think that these are stories to connect the the faithful to to the commandments, or are they possible experiences they had and they try to make sense of them? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, it's you know, it's a good question. We just don't know the answer to that question. Um, how much of this was made up? How much of it was uh, some sort of an attempt at trying to explain an experience that that particular rabbi had? We just have no idea. And just because it says in the Talmud, Rabbi A, you know, Rabbi so-and-so said such and such, uh, we don't know that that's that Rabbi so-and-so actually said such and such. It may be attributed to him. So uh, the fact is that the Talmud was written between the year 
um, 200 in the common era and 500 in the common era. So that's over a 300 year period, um, which is getting on to 2000 years ago. The fact is we just do not know. We have the documents, we just do not know how factual they are using um, facts and his history as we use it in modern times today. Wonderful. Well, we want to thank you, Rabbi Sucker, for being with us. We appreciate your knowledge and your experience. And uh, we'll be uh, broadcasting this tomorrow on Radio Free Nashville. I will send you the, the link and then uh, we'll post it on our YouTube channel as well. Good. Well, thank you very much. And I wish you good good wishes. And um, may your, your group that listens to this find this uh, helpful and enlightening. Thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye now.